Welcome to Know Your Risk Radio on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Know Your Risk Radio is hosted by Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Know Your Risk Radio is brought to you by Bulwark Capital, helping families navigate the ever-changing and often volatile markets. Know Your Risk Radio starts now. Here's your host, Zach Abraham. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another of the most scintillating hour in finance radio. We got a good one planned for you guys. Got a fantastic interview on deck. So with a gentleman by the name of Mike Green and uh, a guy I've been wanting to have on the show for a long time. Uh, He's done some fascinating work on passive index investing. Right, ETFs, S and P five hundred, right, Nasdaq. You guys know it. Just go buy the index, and um, and the impacts that's having on markets. And before we get into the market update, I want to give a little preamble to this, just so people have an understanding. Um, <clears throat> passive investing, people investing via ETFs. Um, first of all, I think ETFs are a wonderful invention. I think they, they've they've they provide a wonderful service. So this isn't against ETFs, but ETFs also enter in a a completely different market dynamic. And the market dynamic is, is that you are systematically buying every single stock in that index at the same time. There is no cash. There is no valuation work that goes into it. Right. It is it is irrespective of value. And the only thing the the only real correlation is, is that whatever companies are valued more highly get bought more of. Right. So most of these indexes are what we call uh, market cap weighted. So the companies at the top of the index, Apple and the S&P 500, if you put in and I'm not sure exactly what the percentages are, but if you invest one hundred thousand dollars into an S&P Y 500 ETF, whether you know it or not, you're buying four and a half to 5% of your money is going into Apple. And then like four to, you know, four and a half to 4.6% of your money is going into Amazon and so on down the road. And it's interesting to me because the tops of these indexes, the companies at the tops of these indexes, right? Usually, usually, the biggest performers, and this isn't uniform across the case, but usually the biggest performers in a bull market. Well, I mean, I'll just tell you long-term, right? The S&P 500 has, and and this doesn't work equally, but, you know, the S&P 500 has returned 11%, you know, for the last hundred years. Um, Small cap value has returned 16 and a half. Now, what I'm saying is that the biggest gains in a bull market usually you're going to come from companies in, that start off in the lower half, right? Cause they're the company. Now there'll be some in the lower half that end up falling out, but the companies in the lower half tend to grow the most financially and move up the index the most. Um, this has been a unique bull market that I believe is over what well, is over um, just because it was so top heavy. Um, there've been times in the past that were similar, like the nifty 50 uh, back in the sixties, so, I mean, there's similarities or fifties and sixties, most of the sixties anyway. Um, but now you're getting to a point where passive investing is controlling about 43, 44% of all investments. And remember, those are no decision investments. Everybody always looks at me and I go, well, you know, what is your portfolio currently in? And it'll be like, oh, it's ETFs. And I go, oh, so you're a momentum portfolio, you're a momentum investor. And they go, no, 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 we don't do that. It's fundamental. And I go, well, no, you're a momentum investor. And they go, well, what do you mean? I go, well, you're just buying the S&P based on its historical performance. And you're hoping and you're extrapolating out that it will continue to perform that way. Therefore, you are a momentum investor. You're not buying it because it's trading at a low valuation. You're not buying it because you think it's growth prospects versus its current price are outstanding. You're not, you're not buying it because you believe over the next three years, right? You're just buying it based off its historical momentum. And that's not a bad thing, but it's just interesting to, to see 
how all of those assets are going in. And now you're watching, I believe, one of the side impacts or one of the one of the side effects, which is as you get more and more. And this is a really complex topic. So I'm trying to make it as simple as possible. And truthfully, guys, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it, too, because there's parts of this that we won't know until we see. Like, what does that mean when 44 percent of all the money in markets is represented via ETFs? And we can make, and I think Mike has done the best work on this, which is why I want to have him on there, on here. Uh, we can make extrapolations and guesses, but nobody really knows because, again, it's never happened before. But it's very interesting, and I think it points to, you know, I have so many conversations, and you guys have heard me say so many times on the show, I cannot find a period of time where underlying valuations or fundamentals tended to have less of an impact on stock prices than any other time. And I will talk about, and I, and I will just point to the NASDAQ being up 10% in the last two trading days is a perfect example. Right. And again, I'm not trying to throw a wet blanket on, on, on people that are cheering that, you know, if you were long the NASDAQ, it's been a brutal year. So, you know, tip of the cap, glad that you got a couple days of relief. Unfortunately, that's, I, I think all it is. But um, when major indexes move like that on nothing, right? And so now we'll kind of transition to the market update here. But but what it tells you is that something different is going on, right? People go, well, it's inflation. No, that's all nonsense. Any explanation you heard on CNBC or anywhere else, I'm not saying that I'm the only one that knows what's going on and that they don't. What I'm saying is their their example is ridiculous on the face of it. Okay, Back in February, when we announced that inflation was going up by 0.5% a month, when that inflation print came out, markets tanked, okay? Same information came out today. Now, remember, inflation is higher today than it was back in February. So a 0.5 increase to the inflation rate is even a bigger deal, right? Because it's 0.5 of a bigger number than it was back in February. And that's supposedly the cause of a 10% two-day rally on the NASDAQ, Right? Here's why I say I don't think it's going to last. When you look back through history, the only times you see moves like that, that are the beginning of, or excuse me, the only time you see moves that, and guys, I just, you, you saw the largest company in the world, or maybe Saudi Aramco's slightly larger, but anyway, whatever. You saw the, if you include the aftermarket hours move on Apple, the largest company in the world was up 10% on no news, none. People, well, the CPI print guys, all that CPI print meant was that inflation rose slightly less than some of the expectations, but it didn't at all change the fed trajectory. If anything, it cemented it more, which means there's probably at least another 75 basis points of rate increases coming. So what's creating these market dynamics? What is creating this, you know, a market's moving in a one to 2% move in a day. Now is, is that feels serene. That's not normal guys, right? What's happening. Why do we see these just massive swings? Why do we see mega cap companies trading like penny stocks? Why have we, why did we see that three years ago? And it just continues to seem to magnify and get worse. What's causing that? Well, you know, nobody knows for sure, right? There's, there's, you know, like you've heard me say on the show before, I, I think that all too often there's this desire for people to, you know, find a silver bullet, say it's one thing. Um, and it's not, but I do think it's a, you know, a confluence of events. I think that you have, again, a record number of retail investors. Um, I think you are coming off of the biggest and longest bull market in U.S. history with the biggest tax wealth giveaway. And a lot of these investors, their only real experience in markets is the last two and a half years. So they think that buying a dip and catching a V ride up for 40% is normal. But that's how markets work. Well, they don't. And the way you know that, guys, is how can an asset that so many eyes are on around the world, right? How can an asset that large, that well-known, if, if, if that move in, in stocks like Apple and, and Amazon were justified yesterday, then what it tells you is that the market is irrevocably broken. What do I mean by that? The market is a pricing mechanism, okay? 
if if a fairly benign minute data point like inflation rates coming in at point like for instance does inflation rising two tenths of a percent less than most market participants expectations change the value of a company like apple by 230 billion dollars of course not we don't even know if the fee we we could find out a month from now when they readjust that number that it actually was 0.7. I mean, this is how ridiculous this has all gotten, but I don't think it's just attributable to quote unquote dumb money. And again, I don't mean that in a pejorative way. It's how we delineate between institutional and retail investors. And it's probably not a good way to put it, but it's shorter than saying retail investors. So um, I don't think it's just a product of that. I don't think it's a bunch of idiot investors bidding things up. Do I think that that has a part to play? Sure. Right. It, it affects the ecosystem somewhat, but there's something decidedly different going on. Um, and one of the theories, you know, that, that at least that I'm wrapping my mind around is more people go into these passive investments. The marginal investor, guys like me that are buying things or selling things based on fundamentals, we become a smaller percentage of how money is managed, but we become the marginal investor, right? And the more people that are just putting money into the passive vehicle, I think the marginal investors probably have a bigger say, a bigger swing. So anyway, that that's kind of a long, but that's part of the market update explaining what happened yesterday and part of the reason why I wanted to have Mike Green on to have this discussion because I think it's apropos, certainly considering what's going on this week. Um, but getting into the moves last week, I, I've heard, or this week, I've heard a lot of ebullience. I've heard a lot of excitement about it. Oh, this is the start of another bull. I will just say to you again, like I said earlier in the year, like I've said every single time we've had a rally. Um, look, markets can do whatever they want. We could be wrong. To me, this is just classic bear market rally material. If you're a technician, that move, as sharp as it was, does not change the trajectory of this market. You're still very much in a downtrend. Um, personally, we and yesterday was not a fun day for I'll just be open. I'll be honest with you. I think we're like slightly positive on the week. So it hasn't been that great of a week for me. So it's not me. It's not a sour grape thing. I'm not complaining. Yeah, actually had a decent day yesterday. We were up about two, 1.7 in the value portfolio, like one in momentum or something like that. But I mean, shoot, the S and P was up, you know, 5.3, 5.4. Um, and, and just to put that in context, guys, again, moves of that size to the upside have only happened a couple times. And that is one of the reasons I am so convinced that this is still a bear market is because the only times people go, well, it just happened in COVID. The, thank you very much. If that's what you're thinking to my thinking, uh, you're making my point for me. When you look at history, historical moves like that, they happen for one of two reasons. A, a policy shift, a government comes in and does something that changes the backdrop instantly, like the Fed did during COVID, right? When the Fed came in and sprayed the market down with dollars and took the approach that they took, they changed the financial reality in a statement. Okay, so that's what caused that up move. And based on the size of the stimulus, especially especially in retrospect, that market move, at least in the short term, was warranted, Right. The only other time you've seen movements like that are during bear markets. Why does that happen during a bear market? Again, confluence of events. In bear markets, you typically have a much higher number, a much larger number of dollars that are betting against stocks. So when anything like that happens, regardless of how stupid it was and a rally based on that announcement, I'm just telling you, I mean, look, I could look, I've been wrong before, so I could end up being wrong. And maybe we'll look back historically and go, that was the start of the next great bull market. I'll bet a substantial amount of money. That's not the case, but it could be right. I, I don't, my, like I say all the time, my crystal balls is as cloudy as anybody's. Um, but a 0.5% or excuse me, a 0.2% miss. Now remember that that wasn't the fed expectations. That was just market expectations. So what we found out yesterday is that inflation is still rising at a 7.7, 7.8% annual rate. So what did yesterday's report mean? 
means that the Fed's going to continue hiking on their trajectory. <laughs> so today, congratulations, Mark. Stocks were worth 10% more. Um, but again, what causes that in bear markets is you have two sets of buyers and both are urgent. You have the people that buy that this is the dawn, this is the bottom, and they're going to shovel money in there. They start pushing the market up. And then you have the short sellers looking to get out of the way, right? And the way I've said this before, the way that you sanitize or the way that you close a short position, betting against something, betting that something's going to go down is you have to buy it. So if you were short Apple yesterday and you saw the market just ripping in pre-market, market opens, you buy Apple stock to close out that short position, which pushes Apple higher, right? So kind of all, kind of like a short squeeze, kind of like a one-day short squeeze. Um, and we'll see. Maybe it lasts longer than that. The follow-through today has been kind of amazing, honestly. Um, NASDAQ, as we speak here, I think we closed up 1.8%, a 10% two-day rally. And, and that's why, I, you know, there are people out there, oh, this is the new dawn. You, I, bottom line, guys, historically, you just only see this kind of action in bear markets. And everybody forgets it. And the reason everybody forgets it is bear markets are covered in pain, right? People don't remember. They remember where we started. They remember where we ended. They don't remember the path. The other reason is because most people have different jobs and they're not staring at screens every day. They're not sitting there like I was yesterday going, what in the world is going on here? Um, anyway, what I will tell you is I think that yesterday is evidence of more pain ahead. I think today's action on top of that is evidence of yet again, more pain ahead. And the reason why I say that is because markets bottom at capitulation, right? Markets bottom when people give up the wild, crazy dreams of riches and big bounces and all that kind of stuff. And Markets bottom when you hear people saying, I'm never going to buy a stock again. And that's all anecdotal. And I realize that. But just saying that that's not the way, <laughs> the way markets bottom unless there's, a, unless there's a policy shift like we saw in COVID, right? Um, so, you know, I just, for a whole host of reasons, I just believe very much that that is another bear market bounce. And I've been telling you all year long, we're going to have more of these. Um, and... The, the veracity of yesterday was historically unprecedented considering there was no policy shift. You know, you look even back at some of the bear market rallies in 08, 09, they were big. You had some go, you know, 18, 20, 22, 25% where you got bounces that big off the bottom and they roll over and go make new lows again. Um, I don't see any indication that that won't be the case this time. Um but, you know, I mean, who knows in this crazy day and age, I, if you would have told me that CPI came in at 0.5 as opposed to 0.7, I'd have been like, okay, well, I, I don't really know that. It, I just would have thought that doesn't change anything because it just means that expectations were a little high. But it's now if CPI would have come in at zero, that you didn't increase it all month over month, I'd sit there and go, okay, that probably warrants a good rally, maybe a two and a half, three and a half percenter because that puts some... But at point five, all that's doing is, again, telling the Fed that they got to continue on the course. So wild, wild times for sure. The other one that I will say that we are watching closely, and it's a bit of a head scratcher as well. And, the, and to be fair, I'm sure that this played into yesterday's rally. It's hard to know which one was the chicken or which one was the egg. But the dollar index has pulled back sharply. Now, it's still very much in the red zone. Right. Anytime you get the DXY over 100, you need to start really paying attention because that's putting pressure. As we sit today, DXY is about dollar index is about 106 and a half. But that's a sharp pullback. I mean, it brushed up against 115 not all that long ago. Um, I and this is the tough part. Um, inflation, you know, you see the news yesterday going out. Inflation is still accelerating. The Fed is still going to hike rates, and that makes the dollar drop. Okay. <laughs> we're just, we're living in bizarre world, guys. It, they, I would love to explain to you a reason for that. Um, I don't think you can. Um, I've heard some people arguing that the reason they think the dollar dropped was because China is saying that they're going to ease up on their COVID policies. That means they need more dollars. Um 
markets do crazy things. And in periods of times like this, I think it's why it's so fundamental that you keep your, your, your eyes on the fundamental picture as opposed to getting caught up in the market moves and getting lost in that reality because it'll just lead you, lead you astray, whether emotionally or, or whatever. Um, but, you know, I, you know, here we are. I, I just expect more of the same. I, I think continue to think that we have not seen the lows. Um, why? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really is remarkable. If you think back now over the last three months, over the course of the last three months, we had our first substantial decline in earnings year over year or year over year. Third quarter earnings are 5% lower X energy than they were last year. So you're seeing earnings rolling over. You're watching consumer spending start to roll over. You've seen real estate go in just absolute stall mode. Um, you see automobile purchases slowing, not falling off a cliff. Like I'd said before, I saw a couple of indications that it was, um, but certainly anyway, everything you see is echoing recession, right? I, I mean, everything, I mean, we're in a recession. ECB came out yesterday and said, look, this, this isn't just going to be a garden variety recession. It's going to be tough. Uh, European central bank. When I say ECB. Um, it really is remarkable. And yet hope springs eternal. And this is in the face of cryptocurrencies. I didn't even get into the cryptocurrency. We'll, we'll talk about that in the next section. What's going on in cryptocurrency land. And again, Mike green and I talk about that again in the upcoming interview a little bit too. But, um, you know, when I look at Tesla now trading below 200, which has been a major support level for it, I look at the chart on that thing. Um, I look at the economic reality that we're staring at, higher rates, all the different things that we're talking about, the dollar still in the red zone, um, all of the economic indicators. I see Bitcoin break 17,000. The Bitcoin exchanges are folding up. <clears throat> um, it's really hard to be constructive. And then again, you turn back and look at the S&P 500. With this latest poll, now we're back up over 21 times earnings with earnings falling. I just our outlook has not changed. And unfortunately, again, and, and due to this, this is kind of what puts up kind of puts the clouds over me, you know, is what when when Fed, when the Fed sits there and watches a 10% rally in two days on the NASDAQ, you think that encourages them to pivot or cut rates? It doesn't. They don't need to. Right? I, I, I think people are completely misinterpreting this. And I think the Fed up until this point is is sided with me, meaning if people are going to step in there and keep buying asset prices and pushing up despite the underlying fundamentals, the economy going into recession, interest rates going up, all these different things, crypto ex exchange currencies blowing up. And then remember, guys, like I've talked to you about in the past, it's about the knock-on impacts. And and I've reached the end of my time here for this segment. So we've got to take a quick break right here. As always, you can call us 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. We're going to, I'm going to talk about the knock-on impacts, and we're going to get into cryptocurrency in the next segment. And, uh, and then, like I said, we still have the interview coming up with Michael Green. You don't want to miss it. Anyway, stick with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach discuss key investment strategies across several asset classes, not just stocks and bonds. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. And Zach, I know you and Bulwark are laser focused on risk management. What is the biggest risk right now? Ironically, bonds. Really? Why? Due to all the money printing from central banks in the long period of zero interest rates, some serious inflation has hit. I'm sure you're aware. And inflation crushes bonds. We've been talking about it for seven years. If your portfolio has a significant portion of bonds, you may need a bond replacement strategy. You do need one. Get our free booklet, Common Sense Investing, to learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. This shows you how to protect your retirement against loss, but still get market gains. Our goal is the highest returns with the least amount of risk and cost. Call now for your free copy of Zach's new version of Common Sense Investing. Learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. 
What does outside-the-box investing really look like? Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management, and see a side-by-side comparison of your current portfolio versus one Zach would recommend. Schedule your free risk review at knowyourriskradio.com. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you for sticking with us. Okay, so getting into, um, and this is something that is overlooked now, and it has been overlooked in every type of financial crisis slash recession in history. Why? I don't know. Um, some people will be like, well, not everybody's a cynic. I'm, I'm not a cynic. I'm a skeptic. Uh, and I think you need to be a good skeptic to be a good investor. And I think what you see happening in cryptocurrency land and with these cryptocurrency exchanges only bolsters that point of view. Um, and, and this is what I'm talking about. When we look at it, we go, how much are interest rates going to impact the economy? Well, if you want to know, I think the real estate sector is giving you a very good example of how bad interest rates jacked up this fast, this high can impact an economy. But we need to think about other things other than just how is this going to impact the consumer? Are they going to continue to buy as much? And I mentioned that I've talked about this a little bit in the preceding or the, the preceding weeks was that especially so <clears throat> financial markets are like organisms, right? And I use the analogy, it's kind of crass, but I use the analogy of a catheter, meaning if anybody's ever had to have a catheter in the hospital, you know, they have to change it every once in a while because the body begins to grow around it, right? Almost like absorbing it, if you will. Markets do the same thing, whether it's with interest rates, whether it's with quantitative easing, whether it's inflation, deflation, right? Systems normalize and they begin to build in those things you know, again, whether it's 0% interest rates, whether they begin to build in those things is constant, right? For instance, do you think any company out there in 2019 had the Fed funds rate at four and a half to 5% by the year 2022? And do you think that went into their financial planning? Absolutely not. Do you think the fact that they were making capital allocation decisions, not considering that has impacted them today? Well, of course. Right. I mean, nobody could plan for that. Nobody knew that COVID was coming. Nobody knew you'd have the greatest wealth handout of all time. Nobody knew that that would stimulate or be one of the things that stimulates the greatest level of inflation we've had for 40 years. Um, you know, they just no, nobody would be able to connect all those dots. So one of the things that concerns me that I don't hear enough people talking about, and I think the cryptocurrency world is giving a little bit of a taste of that today is that when things have been so constant for so long in an artificial manner, remember the reason we had low interest rates, it was not because that's what free markets were dictating. The reason bond yields were so low is not because that's the price that market free markets were dictating. When the federal reserve goes in there and does these things. Now, sometimes it's warranted, right? But let's not make any mistake about it. When the federal reserve quote unquote intervenes, They are intentionally usurping the purpose of any market. They are artificially changing market conditions to generate outcomes that they believe, maybe strongly, maybe not strong, but that they believe are more appropriate. And nobody ever really talks about it like that way. But if you're a hardcore free market capitalist, anytime a Fed intervenes, it should anger you because they are usurping natural market prices. Right. I mean, think about zero percent interest rates. It's an abomination. What if if nobody would lend? Right. So if you're and and when you're talking about by financial markets, you make the cost of capital zero. If you don't think that's going to cause distortions. You're out of your mind. Okay, so now we maintain those distortions for 15 years. Right. That means that the body has begun to absorb that. It has begun to bake that in. Just think about it. You got portfolio managers that started their career in 2008 and have never seen an environment without the Fed funds rate below at zero. Do you think that distorts their expectations of markets? Do you think that distorts their expectation of the types of companies that are what you know what you want to invest in? Of course it does. 
They're human beings. How could it not? And so what concerns me more when you see such a fast, radical shift of something so foundational as the cost of money, right? When we think of interest rates, it's the cost of money. When you change the cost of money that hard, that fast, other things are going to break. And there's not one clear example of why they're going to break. Maybe it's as simple as, you know what? We better get out of our crypto. We better sell our cryptocurrency now because I don't want to take a 25% hit on our crypto assets when I can get a guaranteed 4.5% in, 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 in the six-month U.S. treasuries, right? Maybe it's that simple for one guy. Maybe it's a carry trade. I mean, there's all these other different dynamics. The point is, is it's the secondary and third order impacts. You know, go back and look at 08, 09. Everybody goes, what caused that? Oh, it's mortgages. Well, yeah, they were, but it was the secondary effects. It wasn't the fact that housing dropped 40% that almost nuked the entire global financial institution, right? It was the impact that had on mortgage-backed securities. It was the fact that nobody knew how much, how many mortgage-backed securities any bank owned because they were AAA rated for the most part, which means they didn't have to report them on their balance sheet, which means a lot of these guys were carrying the cash portion of their balance sheet in mortgage-backed securities. And when Lehman Brothers failed, the mortgage-backed security, and, and actually before that, it went no bid. And those banks have to mark to market their assets every single day. And all of a sudden, the cash that they were holding is worth zero. It's really wild. It's part of the financial crisis. I don't think enough that people remember there were money market accounts. They got frozen. My uncle was running a firm back then. They were using a very safe, very reputable money market account. Their client cash was frozen in that money market account for, I want to say something like 14, 15 months. Right. And he and I were laughing about it. It was a miserable time for him, but we were just laughing, man. Can you imagine? I mean, how tough is it as an asset manager to navigate a market? When even your cash right, portion of your portfolio, you know, starts getting bushwhacked, you know, it's, it's, it's brutal, but it's those second and third order impacts. And I sit back at the world today. And again, full recognition that I could be wrong. And, you know, we're, we're, like I said, we're up on the week overall, not big, like one and a half, 2% or something like that. So it's not like I'm sitting back here in a bunker betting on the end of the world. I'm just saying, when you look at where the dollar is, when you look at what's happening in the global community, when you hear the machinations coming out of China and you see what's happening in their economy, really for the first time ever, really, right? This is, I mean, China wouldn't release their GDP numbers, which I think is hilarious, but it's probably because they're going through their first recession ever, like in this modern economic setup. When you, when you par- start putting all these things and the length of time, right, interest rates going up at the most fast pace in history, <clears throat> and all of this is happening after really w- a period of time where you saw record low volatility, a record run in equity prices, um, you know, with record low volatility. Like I just said, you, everything is so serene and constant because it's being artificially manicured and kept in place by central banks. And then inflation hits and boom, overnight. Not gradually, not over the course of years. They got to jack rates to the moon. I'm just telling you, the slowing economy is not the only thing you need to be worried about. You're going to hear more of these types of stories. Now, to tell you exactly what the cause is, I don't know. Again, I'll go back to the crypto exchanges blowing up, right? Is that a one-off due to rising interest rates? No, but don't you think it's kind of curious that Bitcoin gets slammed, cryptocurrency world gets annihilated, and these Bitcoin exchanges that were supposed to be incredibly well capitalized, they start blowing up in the wake of all that? And then what else does that blow up? What impact does that have on somebody else's levered up portfolio in another part of the world, which means they're going to have to sell this asset to me? Do you see what I'm saying? It's this interconnectedness. And when you see tidal waves like this, tidal changes, tidal shifts of this magnitude, just sit back and wait for the fireworks because they're going to happen. Now, the other thing that's more concerning about the backdrop is, right, we're talking about the knock-on effects. What we can see is bad enough. And, and like I've said before, I'm not saying there's no hope ahead. I'm not saying that markets, it's not possible that markets have seen their bottom. They could have. I don't think so. But they could have. What I will tell you 
is it's not based on any, if you were sitting there yesterday going, you know, something good must be going on. No, it's not. I, I don't know a time. Well, I'll say it again. I, I, there has been no time in my career, nor I think in the history of financial markets that I can go back and look at where the outlook seems so certain, right? Where everywhere you looked, again, it's not disaster. Is you just don't see anything good anywhere, right? Everywhere you could go, you'd be like, well, what if this one, you know, 0809, it was China coming back online with unprecedented stimulus that really reignited the global economy and helped us get out of there. Well, based on where China is now in their current situation, they can't do that. So you cross that one off. Fed can cut rates. No, not only can't interest rates where they're at. Eventually, maybe over the course of next year, they can. But how much damage will be done in the economy by the time that happens? Don't know. You're watching default rates. You're looking at, what is it, 34% of businesses are delinquent on the, the, their mortgage bill, you know, what, the, 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 the financing on their buildings or property. 33, 34% of small businesses are delinquent or behind on their mortgage bills. That's not good, right? Cost of, you know, goods are going up. I mean, dollar high, you know, you just keep walking through it and you're like, man, it doesn't look like the end of the world. It just looks like an environment where maintaining 21 to 22 times earnings on the S&P 500 is going to be extraordinarily difficult. Now, before we get to the end of this, I do want to say, guys, this is why we have made, we have argued that if you want to be in things like cryptocurrency, be involved with them at very small levels, especially the closer you are to retirement and don't become a member of a church, right? Recognize that the world has never been here before. And the intrinsic value, now I know there's a lot of people that are going to disagree with me, that's fine. And I've also said before that I love the idea, the principle behind Bitcoin, and I don't think it's a bad thing. I'm just saying the intrinsic value of Bitcoin is zero. It doesn't produce any cash flows. It doesn't have any revenue, right? It just just doesn't. That's a fact. Does that mean it cannot go up a lot more? Nope, didn't say that. But I will say this, and, and I didn't talk... I probably didn't speak loudly enough on this topic as I should have. And Mike Green will, and I get into this as well in our interview coming up. But if you're wondering what's happened at these exchanges, if you see Bitfinance or Bit, what is it, F, FCT, I, I, FTX or whatever it is, some of the, and these are the big boys, right? This isn't some like small peripheral player. This isn't like a Mt. Gox situation that happened back in 2016 or whenever it was. These are big players with billions and billions of dollars of assets if not hundreds, but I'll just tell you what happened and why we avoided it so much. I looked at what these guys were doing and I went, I've seen this before. There's a stock pump, right? And what, what they used to do in stock pumps. Oh, and they still do. And, and this is a crew. They, they can be more elaborate. They can be more, more, uh, you know, more intricate than this, but usually you get these networks of guys. And they might find a company that's got an interesting story, or they might completely fabricate a story and build it around a company. There's all kinds of different ways they can do it. But basically, they take the majority of the stock and put it around in each other's hands, right? Then they build up a story around this thing, okay? And meanwhile, they control, let's say, 70, 80% of the stock. So just a very, and you'll look at the stock and you're like, oh, it's got a pretty good size market cap. You know, there's 500 million shares outstanding. This thing's pretty liquid. Well, what you don't know is 80% of that stock is being controlled by a cabal, right? So it's saying it's this big, but the number of shares that are actually trading in the public's market are much smaller, right? What does that allow them to do? A, it allows the story that they build around that stock to be more impactful. Because if somebody's like, hey, that sounds like a good story, I'll throw five grand at it. If you only have 20% of the stock actively trading, that five grand buy has a much bigger impact than it would if all 100% of the shares were trading, right? So they build the story. And then to keep it going, the insiders will feed stock in to the sell right? Over time, just to keep the market liquid, keep it going, right? Then they'll also have other guys step in and make purchases to drive it up at key points and try to stimulate it. And then together, they'll, you know, either through issuing that guy more stock or throwing him some of the money back and they'll, they'll make each other right. And when they get the fire going enough, they start dumping into it, right? And then by the time they unload the shares, they do what we call pull the promote. They stop the story and boom, the stock collapses. 
It's basically exactly what you saw with these exchanges. These exchanges would come out, say, hey, we're an exchange. And oh, by the way, we're going to launch our own coin. Okay. So they launch their own coin. They hold 70 to 80% of the supply of that coin behind the, you know, behind the market. They get some celebrities involved, get people talking about it, get the coin rallying, get the coin on a really nice run. And then they walk into these firms, hedge funds, private equity firms, whatever. Hey, you got to invest in our, our exchange. And oh, by the way, look, we're not just some fly by night exchange. We got 800 million. We got $2 billion of assets of capital in our firm. Well, the assets are just that day's dollar value of the coin that they've pumped up themselves. So they get good money to follow bad. Right? They get, oh boy, these guys, these are, they're actually well capitalized. Well, they're not well capitalized because if they tried to sell all that stock and get the capital from it, they would blow apart the entire market of the, of the coin. Right? If, you, if you own 85% of something and you drive the price up on 50, 15% of it, and then you try to sell your 85% into that market, what are you going to do? You're going to kill it. Boom. Splat it. So when they actually hit an inevitable tough time and they try to go in there and sell their coins, or maybe one of the members of the cabal goes rogue and breaks, and breaks, you know, it breaks formation and decides to sell, boom, game over. And you watch this Sam, Sam Bankman freed guy. I can't believe anybody trusts him with so much as a $5 bill, but you know, it wiped out 42 billion. What, no, no, not 42, something like 15, $20 billion of his own personal wealth. That was all on paper anyway. But what I'm saying is I think we need to pay less attention to what happened in markets yesterday and today and start looking at the periphery. You're starting to see things blow up guys. Okay. You, you see the real estate market install speed. You're watching businesses fall behind on bills. You got to know there are times where you shouldn't be looking at the market and you got to look at the fundamentals. And what I am telling you, I don't know these outcomes. Okay. But if you are close to retirement, you were in retirement, you're playing with fire. You need some certainty and there's no reason why you don't have it. Okay. There's a better way to do things. You could be in a portfolio like ours that despite of all these things this year, our average clients down somewhere between two and a half to 4%. Okay. They were up better than 15% last year outperforming the S and P 500, not saying we'll do it every year. We won't. Okay. But you can do that while taking way less risk and paying less in fees. Do not. And I've said this over and over, but do not be one of those people that got, and we've already seen some of it. Don't take the thrashing before you wake up. Sit back in your chair right now and look around at the world, look at interest rates, look at what people are saying about real estate. And then you look at the stock market still trading at 22 times earnings. You're like, yeah, but it's down big guys. Forget what it's down. Okay. It was coming off the greatest sugar high of injected money in the history of capital markets. That wasn't real. Okay. So I actually, what was real to me last time markets were real in my opinion was January 1, 2020. And they were still being manipulated by ridiculously low interest rates. Well, we're still 15, 20% above that level. Okay. So in my opinion, you haven't lost anything this year. You gave back some of the idiocy and lunacy of the last two years that never should have happened in the first place. Okay. I think that what is being underplayed right now is the ability for markets to have substantially greater losses and for those losses to be memorialized for a lot longer period of time than most people are thinking. And, and the economic data, just talk to your friends. Guys, you know what we're staring at here. And just don't be one of those people that has to, you know, don't go looking for house insurance when the house is already on fire. Give us a call, 866-779-RISK, and 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, bulwarkcapitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. And I know a bunch of you have been sitting back listening. Oh, I got to give that. Guys, call us. I mean, man, I'm telling you. And again, if I'm wrong, which I certainly could be, like I told you, our portfolios are up this week. We'll go up. You'll make money in your house. If I'm wrong, great. Our AUM grows. You make more money. We just have security blankets in, in, installed that at the very worst will limit some of our gains. And if things get nasty, they'll preserve your ability to retire the way you want to. It's, it, it's called risk management. It doesn't cost you nothing. It will, it will enhance your returns over time. It won't hurt them. It'll enhance them. And you're sitting here in a year where you've watched your entire portfolio get drilled. And more importantly, the defensive part of your portfolio, the bonds, has let you down again when you needed it the most. 
make a change. Give us a call, 866-779-RISK and 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, borrowcapitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. Going to take a quick break and going to be right back. Try to get five, six minutes or so of the interview with Mike Green in because I think it's important. I think you guys need to hear it. And as always, you can go to knowyourriskradio.com. You can download the entire interview with Mike Green. Again, this guy used to manage Peter Thiel's money. Uh, Very brilliant guy. Somebody you want to listen to. Okay. And that's why we had him on. So don't want you to miss it. Anyway, uh, hope you enjoy the interview. And have a great week. We'll see you next week. This is, and again, stay. We're, we're not ending here. Stick with us. Interview coming up at, right after the break. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Do better in bull markets. Do better in bear markets. Pay less fees in all markets. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. You can subscribe to Zach's free newsletter, The Bulwark Insider Report, at knowyourriskradio.com. Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, what's the number one concern with people's investments right now? Without a doubt, Dory, it's inflation and it's here. All the money printing from the Fed and long period of zero interest rates, the bills come and due and inflation's going up. And when inflation rises, bonds get smoked. We've been saying it for years. If you're using bonds in the old school 60-40 mix with stocks as the safe portion of your portfolio, you're taking a risk in today's inflationary environment. Well, what should our listeners do? If you're worried about inflation, we believe that you should consider getting out of bonds and get educated with Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. We teach you exactly how to do it in our free book booklet, Common Sense Investing. Learn how to protect your portfolio against loss, but still seek to grow your assets. Call Zach now for your free copy of Common Sense Investing, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you so much for sticking with us. And uh, now is my time. Favorite, my favorite part of the show. Get to do an interview. And I told you we had another good one on the deck. Uh, and I've been wanting to have this guy on for quite a while, just because he's doing some. He's a brilliant guy. He's done a ton of managed money in pretty much every way you possibly could. Um, fascinating background and doing great work now. And. Um, has a lot of insight. So without further ado, I want to uh, welcome Mike Green to the show. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, Zach, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Now, before we even get started, you've been with Simplify now. Have you been with them for about a year? Is that is that right? Uh, it's, it's about a year and a half, actually. So okay. I joined in uh, March, April of 2021. The firm was founded in September of 2020. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And you guys, give us a brief synopsis of right out of the gates what what you guys are doing. And, and I was talking to you about this off air. Um, you know, I think people probably see I manage retail money. I think probably you guys probably do both uh, retail and 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 some non retail stuff. But um, people see those as competing things. I don't. I think you guys are doing great work. And tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing at Simplify. Uh, and what kind of products you have to offer people and why you guys think that uh, that they're valuable and, and filling a space that, that really isn't filled in the retail market? Well, so Simplify, as I said, was launched in September of 2020. Um, it is an ETF firm. So we focus on issuing and offering ETFs and we're ambivalent whether our investors are retail, as in you know individuals managing their own accounts or whether they're coming to us through a registered investment advisor, similar to yourself, um, or if they're institutional. And we do ultimately have clients across all three components my background has traditionally been in the institutional space, primarily managing money for either endowments or wealthy individuals. Um, but part of the opportunity that led us to launch Simplify and led me to join Simplify was a change in the rules. And we'll spend an awful lot of time in this discussion talking about the rules of regulated finance, uh, but a change in the rules that facilitated the introduction of ETFs that had derivative components to them. And so that would include things like an S&P or a U.S. equities with some downside protection expressed through an option overlay um, or tools that allow you to increase your exposure to various types of assets um, through ETFs in a manner that historically would have been very, very difficult. There were two primary rule changes, what's called the ETF rule in September of 2019, 
that facilitated the filing and application process, made it less onerous on new issuers of ETFs. And then it was referred to as the derivative rule in September of 2020 that laid out very clearly the rules for the use of derivatives within ETFs. Um, that created the opportunity for someone like myself who has traditionally managed derivative strategies for, again, the institutional space to begin trying to do the same thing within uh, the exchange traded uh, framework. And that opened up a lot of interesting opportunities that I thought was just too good of a, uh, a situation to pass up. It also had the benefit of allowing me to increasingly play a role of sharing some of the concerns I have about the current financial system and, and how it's created and how potentially our solutions or strategies offer solutions to some of those problems. Yeah, well, and it's been interesting to watch. Um, you know, it, it's always tough to know personally, but watching market movements, um, you know, over the last year, over the last two years, I, I, I see movements that happen all the time that makes me, you know, go back and, and revisit some of the things I've heard you say about your concerns regarding the market and issues. And um, I feel like we keep seeing examples. You know, you've talked about the lack of liquidity. I look at market movements and mega cap stocks swinging 9, 12% in a day. Um, again, maybe that's false attribution on my part, but I see these kind of movements and I just keep going back to things I've heard you talk about. Do you think we're starting to see... I mean, well, I think we've All right, guys, due to time constraints, we got to cut the interview off right there. But as always, you can hear the rest of it at knowyourriskradio.com or just Google Know Your Risk Radio podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it, on pretty much every podcast site. And if you do download it, can you just subscribe? The higher our subscriber numbers go, the easier it is to get other good interviews. And it doesn't cost you anything. We don't make any money off it, but... Uh, just helps us get better content. Anyway, have a great weekend. Go Hawks. We'll see you next week. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Thanks for listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham now at knowyourriskradio.com. Zach will be back with more Know Your Risk Radio next Saturday at noon on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.